All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Making the Argument. I am joined today with Christian, Lydia, and Nick, who is down in Richmond doing the people's work. We appreciate your patience. We understand that him not having video up is, is frustrating, but he is down there working hard for the people of Virginia, and we really appreciate him doing that. We've got some really interesting things to talk about today. During our team call this morning, Christian brought up a really interesting point about inflation, the Fed, and all of these tech companies firing tens of thousands of people. Something really interesting that I wasn't aware of that we're, we are going to dive into today. So Lydia, I'm going to hand it over to you to start us off. Thanks so much, Hamilton. Really glad to be here with you guys. I'm using my phone today, which is why I look a little different because my internet didn't work for me earlier this afternoon. So I am also hanging in there by a thread, but we're here and we're going to have a great conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, so I have Nick here, Hamilton here, and Christian. So we're going to cover all of this awesome stuff and really break it down for you guys today. Even though Nick is remote, it's still going to be a great conversation. So let's get it rolling. Nick, real quick before we jump into this, do you want to give everyone a brief update? It's been about a week since you gave an update from Richmond as to how everything is going down there. Yeah, sure. I mean, so today we actually went through kind of some of the floor debate with respect to tax cuts and whatnot. And here's one of the things I find most interesting about the way we approach taxes in the General Assembly, this really is a worldview difference uh, because a lot of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle, I'm sure they have good intentions, but their arguments are always on, around this idea that, well, if we cut these taxes, the government's not going to be able to, quote, invest in all of these you know, really important things. And it's amazing because it, it always takes me back to um, Hazlitt's argument. His, if you've never read his book, Economics in One Lesson, he talks about the seen versus the unseen. And there's this, there's this consistent argument a lot of times coming from the other side, and it's this idea that, but if we don't have this money, we can't invest in all these important things. Cutting taxes and giving money back to the people that earned it doesn't mean investment goes away. It just changes who's doing the investing, right? Instead of politicians and bureaucrats, quote, investing other people's money that they didn't earn, you now get to invest your own money. And, and it's amazing to me because it's this whole seen versus the unseen, right? They see this pile of money sitting in a government treasury and they think, oh my gosh, if that's gone, we'll have less to spend and therefore less will be spent. No, it'll just be spent by the people that earned it on the things that they prioritize as opposed to the people that didn't earn it on things that they prioritize. And, and so it's this really important distinction that I think gets taken for granted or at least on, on some levels not even considered and so it was it was an interesting floor debate. You know, we got it through the House. We'll see what happens on the Senate. But that was probably the most interesting thing that uh, that happened today on the House floor. 
Very nice, Nick. Thank you for that. You know, we did a lot of talking over the last couple of months, probably six months, about inflation, but we haven't in the past one or two because the topic has died down in the news cycle, but it's still critically important, and we're seeing the effects, effects of it in grocery stores and all over the place. And so today in this episode, I wanted to take a step back, reevaluate what the situation is like, and just give everybody an update because, you know, Christian, Nick, and Lydia, they're all tracking this kind of stuff very closely. So Christian, why don't you give us a brief update on where we're at? Have we tackled the inflation issue and how much work do we have still left to do so um we're probably only halfway there um i there's actually a tweet from michael burry um i can't bring it up because unfortunately he scrubs his twitter account regularly but i have it saved um so i can read it off and um he actually said this just a few days ago and he said inflation appears in spikes when the spike is resolving it won't be because of biden or Powell, jerome Powell, the chairman of the federal reserve it will be because in um, because that is the essence, the nature of inflation. It resolves, fools people, and then comes back. When it comes back, neither the POTUS nor the Fed will take credit. <laughs> so what you see right now is if you like go to the White House's like Twitter page or Facebook page, it's like almost on a weekly basis. I mean, at this point, it's almost on a daily basis that they're wanting to take credit for apparently tackling inflation. By the way, they haven't done anything to tackle inflation. We've actually done an episode on the Inflation Reduction Act and how there was nothing in there that was anti-inflation. It was basically a climate change bill for Democrats. So Joe Biden hasn't actually done anything on inflation, but they're certainly taking credit on it right now. But what Burry is predicting, and for those who remember, Michael Burry is the guy who made so much money off the 2008 financial crisis that they made a movie about him called The Big Short, where he basically like shorted the entire like mortgage-backed security market uh, he made like over a billion dollars in that process um, because he saw it happening like two or three years before it actually played out. Um, and he did the same thing this cycle. He actually shorted the treasury market before the bond market completely collapsed in 2022. So he's probably made even more money this this do, cycle. Do you but, have any idea what the signals were that he was looking for ahead of time to be able to make a prediction like that? Um, Probably just the number of uh, mortgages that people were taking out. Um, the number of loans that were being handed out to people that they couldn't afford. But that is definitely a topic for probably another time. Sure. Um, but but long story short, the reason I bring that up is to to let our audience know who might not be following who like somebody like Mike, Michael Burry is, that, that he's pretty well respected in his field. And by the way, Burry is hated by certain people in the media and in politics because he is like very well known to be a conservative. Hmm. Um, He was like the genius in 2008. He was also the genius in 2022. But if you go on his Twitter account, he is not friendly towards like the woke left crowd at all. Um, And he's not friendly towards the Federal Reserve. But what, what he's pointing out here is that inflation goes in cycles. And there's proof of this from the last time that we had an inflation crisis here in the United States, which which was in the 1970s and early 1980s. People remember who are old enough to remember like Paul Volcker, who was the chairman of the Federal Reserve, who ended up raising interest rates to an astronomically high level in the early 1980s to finally get inflation under control. But what a lot of people leave off of that story is that that was the end of the story. That wasn't like the beginning of the story. That wasn't the middle of the story. That was the end of the inflation cycle. 
inflation had been going on since Nixon had taken us off the gold standard 10 years earlier in 1971. There was a 10-year cycle from 71 to 81 where inflation was a major problem in the U.S. Hey, Chris, Christian, can I, let me stop you there real quick because this is something we will probably we will probably dedicate a whole episode on, but I want people to understand something. There's a lot of people that are, are this, this was kind of a trend for a while. They're talking about what happened in 1971 because a lot of times you'll hear the left talk about how, well, you know, look, you, you see productivity of individual labors going up and you see corporate profits increasing, but you don't see wages increasing at the same level. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. Part of it has to do with like total compensation packages. But the only reason I want to mention is because they never want to talk about what happened in 1971. They want to talk about what happened in the 80s or they want to blame capitalism or they want to blame tax cuts. But what Christian is talking about here, this, this start of like these massive inflationary cycles, this has had more to do with this, with this, you know, inequity with respect to income than, than probably any other thing. So sorry, Christian, I just wanted to throw that out. No, that's a total, and honestly, like at some point, we probably should do a separate episode in the future entirely dedicated to things like, why has income inequality grown since the 70s? Why has the wage, you know, why have wages not kept up with productivity? Because the left loves to talk about those things and they have a solution for all of it. And it's all 100% wrong. And it goes back to exactly what Nick said. Like there was something that happened in the 70s where we fell off the gold standard and we adopted a fiat currency. And that is why we're now dealing with these problems where we have these like endless boom bust cycles. We have inflation cycles. But to, to, to get back to Burry's point, Basically, what he's trying to say here is that go back and look at the 70s. You you had inflation roared in the early 70s. The Fed started raising interest rates and cracked down on it. You, you had like this whole stagflation period through Nixon and Carter. And inflation softened. And then the Fed softened their interest rates. And then inflation just picked right back up again. The exact same thing is probably going to be taking place here. Because... Unless the Fed keeps at what they've been doing for the better part of a year. But right now, Joe Biden and Democrats are taking credit for inflation supposedly going away. But as Burry points out, they're probably not going to be taking credit when a year from now, unless something changes, inflation comes back. You know, they'll, they'll be silent about it again. So for those who are paying attention, we know that inflation may be currently stagnant or slowing down, but that's not going to be the case for much longer. Um, well, it, it, again, it could be. It, it entirely depends on what sort of like strategy the Federal Reserve takes. But once the Federal Reserve gets the Fed funds rate north of 5%, it's probably going to be politically really inconvenient for them to keep hiking. And, well, and can, can we say something here? Because this is, this is the reason why when we talk about inflation being cyclical, understand that's very different. What, the claim we're making is very different from what a lot of people on the left were claiming and what Janet Yellen was claiming, which is like, oh, well, inflation is just cyclical. It doesn't have to be. Right? <laughs> yeah. the, the, re the reason why it is is because the Fed ends up lowering interest rates to ridiculous levels that don't actually reflect what's going on in the market. And at the same time, a lot of times they end up printing money. And this is all because the government wants to spend without taxing or borrowing. Right. And, and the banks are very much in favor of this as well, because they generally get their hands on the money before the general population does. So they're spending all that money at its max value before the inflationary process has devalued the currency. So you have politicians and banks that love inflationary and monetary policy because they get the full value of spending that money and then you get left with the rest of it. So it, it's important to understand when, when we talk about cyclical, we're not saying because it's like inevitable. Um, that, that we have to live in this sort of world. 
we're saying that the political incentives, because that's who controls our money. Keep in mind, when we actually had a gold standard, we had some sort of even international system that wasn't perfect. There was something outside the whims of politicians or the Federal Reserve that kept the ability to just print more currency or lower interest rates to nothing in check. There was something outside the system that kept the system in check. The moment we said, ah, screw all that, right? we're just going to straight fiat currency. Then we find ourselves in a situation where politicians and the Federal Reserve have a lot more control over that process. And what Christian's explaining here is that, yeah, they, it'll get so bad that it becomes politically untenable to continue to do the same cheap, loose money scam that they're doing. So they raise interest rates. And then when it starts to get better, there's this attitude that, okay, it's better now. Let's go back to the good old days. And then they lower interest rates. And then the next thing you know, we have another inflationary cycle. So the cycle is created by the system that we have. And it's because politicians and central banks love that system, not right. because it's economically inevitable. Well, one question I want to ask here, I just want to make sure I've got this correct. The Federal Reserve is supposed to set interest rates based off of the savings in Americans' bank accounts. Is that correct? No, they're supposed to set the interest rate based on their dual mandate, which ironically enough, one mandate <laughs> conflicts with the other. The Fed's two mandates are maximum employment and stable prices. Okay, yeah. look, there's one tweet. So, but Go ahead, Nick. No, no, no. And, and here's what I'll say on that. What, what you just described is how interest rates should work. So if you told a bank, okay, hey, guess what, bank? No more going to Big Daddy Federal Reserve to get a bailout when you mismanage the funds that you have on hand. No, no more doing that. Here's what would instantly happen. Banks would all of a sudden keep a lot more in reserve, right? They'd keep a lot more cash on hand because if, if everybody comes and asks for their money all at once, the bank's done, right? That's what we call run on the bank and stuff. So they'd keep much higher reserves. But Banks may make money, at least fractional reserve banks, make money by loaning it out. So if all of a sudden they couldn't run to the feds every time they were in trouble, what they would end up doing is they would keep larger cash reserves. They would be a lot more careful about what they invested in. And the end result would be is that the more money that was being saved, the more that they could actually loan out. So they would lower the interest rates in order to encourage people to take out those loans, but they would be very careful about who got them. Now, the less money that was saved, that would mean the less cash that they actually had on hand, then all of a sudden they would, they would raise interest rates or interest rates would go up as a result. So it, it would be naturally occurring based off of savings. That's how it would work in a free market that isn't being constantly manipulated by the government. Does that make sense? Now, what, Christian, what has the Federal Reserve been doing now, though? to help stagnate the rate of inflation. Uh, they've been hiking interest rates repeatedly every single meeting. I mean, the, the for the past year, the Fed has raised interest rates faster than at any point in American history since the Volcker era. What has that resulted in? Um, well, it certainly has resulted in inflation slowing down in certain areas, though. I, there's actually a tweet that I um, uh, sent in response to Paul Krugman, who basically was taking the Biden route and saying inflation's completely over and he's missing what Burry was bringing up. And I, I thought it was just so funny that we needed to include it in the podcast. And, and he goes on um, and says, you know, one thing I've noticed in my correspondence is how many people think inflation is still running wild. The big deceleration in the second half of 2022 hasn't broken through to public consciousness. And then he goes on to say, you know, there's several reasons for this, yada, yada. He basically blames the media, which is hilarious because the media usually is carrying water for the Democrats. They're not they're, they're not in the business of trying to make it look worse for Joe Biden than it actually is. But then he goes on and he provides his his quote unquote proof that inflation is completely over, whereas 
again, what we're trying to argue and what Burry is arguing is that inflation is has ebbed, but it's not over and it won't be guaranteed to be over until the Fed completes the job. Krugman is out here. He's part of the crowd that thinks the Fed has raised interest rates way too much and they need to start cutting which would lead to a disaster. But he goes on and he says, anyway, the truth is striking. Here's a three-month super core, excluding food, energy, shelter, and used cars for him to prove that inflation is completely over. And for those who are listening rather than watching, he's showing this chart where in May and June, inflation goes up to basically almost 8%. And then it collapses down to about 2%. Um, but his chart, as he says, is excluding food, energy, shelter, in cars those sound like some of the most important things to me yeah you think, you think? <laughs> so here's what i said in response to him i said paul krugman is a genius he discovered that if you just exclude the things that are driving inflation and that everyone has to spend money on there's no inflation and the first person to like that tweet was actually thomas massey wow, really yeah um so thomas massey's a great guy yeah oh yeah we, we love thomas massey here um so yeah well, well, this is just funny <laughs> so christian on our call this morning you made the point and I thought this was interesting, and I need you to explain this because I'm very confused by it, that the Federal Reserve actually wants to see the tech companies in Silicon Valley doing exactly what they're doing by firing tens of thousands of employees. Now, that seems illogical. Why would the Federal Reserve want that to happen? So this is the crazy thing. The reason it, and, and Nick has talked about this before, inflation is not prices going up. Inflation is the purchasing power of the currency you're using going down, right? If you double the money supply, and there's been many times in history where the money supply is doubled, not just in the United States. If you double the money supply, that means the purchasing power of your dollar or your denarius or your pound or whatever it is, um, is now cut in half. And what that means is that unless you've doubled the number of goods that are in circulation, naturally the prices of most things will probably double as well. Now, now again, there's a million other factors in place, so it won't be evenly distributed. But what the Federal Reserve realizes is that, okay, there's too much money chasing after too few goods. And the reason why there's too few goods, I mean, you could, you, you could do a whole podcast on that, right? You know, there was the lockdowns sure. in 2020, the supply chain disruption, like, like all sorts of reasons why. But um, what the Federal Reserve has realized is that you know, you can print a lot of money, but you can't print a lot of goods. You can't print computers. You can't print cars. You can't print houses. You can't print clothes. You can't print eggs, right? Sure. But you can print money. And so when the Federal Reserve looks at an inflationary crisis, one that was of its own making, obviously, there's only one of two solutions. You can either lower the demand or you can increase the supply. Well, conservatives traditionally used to be, and I, I think in many ways it still are, but we talk about it a lot less, used to be fixated on on the supply side. That's why we called it supply side economics because our thought process was always, you know what, you grow prosperity not by growing the money supply, you grow prosperity by increasing the number of goods and services that are available in the economy for more people to purchase. That's how you make everybody richer. That's called supply side economics. And the left and even some people on the right like to criticize it and say, oh, it's neoliberalism, whatever that's supposed to mean. Or it, it, Point is, is that it gets a bad rap, but that is the way that you actually grow, you know, grow the economy is, is you expand the supply side of that equation. But the Fed can't do that. They don't run factories, right? They don't get to get to increase the number of houses being built or the number of eggs being produced or the number of cars being made. 
The only thing they can control is the money supply. They can control the demand side. And so what do you do when there's too much demand? There's too much money chasing after too few goods. You crush demand. That's what you do. And how do you crush demand? How do you make people less likely to go out there and bid up the price of eggs or bid up the price of a house or bid up the price of a car? You lay them off their job. That's how you do it. Hmm. And so the Federal Reserve is making the cold and calculated decision, and they're getting a lot of heat for it, and it's only half of the equation. But unfortunately, until we actually go back to supply-side economics, it's, it's basically the only option because it's not like Democrats in D.C. are going to make it easier for people to produce goods and services, right? And so the Federal Reserve's only option, if they want to solve inflation, is literally make people get fired. And who are the easiest people to get fired? Well, it's not the people making the cars. Let me take a guess. Let me take a guess. The ones that were hired using inflationary money. Yes. The, hey, mo- the ones that got hired with the funny money that was printed. The funny money. <laughs> yeah. No, they, well, let me let me ask you this question real quick. Because obviously, look, we I don't want to make light of the fact of anyone losing their job. Because that that's, I mean, that's horrible. And I've been there, right? Like, I know what it is to get that call and be like, hey, guess what? You don't have a job anymore because the company is closing down, right? That sucks. But... <clears throat> When, when Elon Musk bought Twitter, what did he do? He went in there and he found efficiencies because they were getting catered lunches. And they, they literally had, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people fulfilling, you know, doing things where Elon Musk is going around going, what is it, what is it that you say you do here? <laughs> and, and, and the reason why, and it's because Twitter wasn't profitable. So people always ask, like, how can this company that just got sold for billions of dollars not be profitable? Well... If you have low interest rates and loose money and people are just like driving up investments, right? And, and they're just throwing money at these, at these companies. Some of these companies, I would say in a, in, a, in a very inefficient and I would almost say irresponsible manner are hiring all these people to do these various jobs because the bottom line is there isn't a whole lot of, there isn't a whole lot of cost um, or, or there isn't a whole lot of um, uh, consequences to be had as long as interest rates are artificially low and money's just being thrown out there. Now, the, the end result now is that a lot of these companies that, and, and, and Hamilton, you nailed it. A lot of these companies that grew based off of inflation, not based off of productivity, are, are the ones that are bleeding jobs right now. I, I guarantee you, if, if you're in, in high demand fields that, that is absolutely necessary to economic growth, you're probably in, in some ways in a better position. And you're definitely in a better position than somebody that, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a content moderator at Twitter. What the hell is that? In, in a situation where, you know, eggs are $8 a dozen. So that's, that's the point right now is that when we say that the Fed wants to see unemployment or, or jobs being lost, it, it's not so much, it's not just purely about this idea of crushing demand as much as it is about understanding that there were jobs that existed that never would have existed outside of an inflationary economy. And to give you an idea of how many jobs are being laid off in mostly tech firms, so far in this month, which is not over, yep. there's over 75,000 layoffs in wow. the tech sector. Wow. Just the tech sector. Google alone, it was, it was just a few days ago, literally like two or three days ago that Google announced 12,000 employees at the company are being laid off. Microsoft, a few days before that, announced 10,000 layoffs at their company. Um, and Amazon announced 18,000 layoffs a few days before that. So in the span of like a week, you had like, what, like, like 30,000 plus, almost 40,000 
layoffs in, in like one week from three companies. Granted, three of the largest companies in the world, but still, like, like I mean, that that goes to the point that you that you you know brought up earlier, yeah. Hamilton. Well, what what do you think the like? Why are these tech companies firing so many people? Is it to prepare for a recession? Is it because they have less capital? Why is this happening? Oh man, that it, it, it's well. Have you looked at the TikToks from some of these people that work there? I mean, go on Twitter. Honestly, this is something that Lydia might have seen. Like, if you go on Twitter and you looked at like. I'm a content moderator at Twitter and I'm 23 years old and I make $250,000 a year and here's my day. I wake up and I go to my office and and I get a latte for free and then they give me lunch for free and then oh, I go wait, on a can walk. I, can, I, can I talk about because I, I when I first got out of the military, I won't say which company, um, but when I first got out of the military, I got hired as, as a part of a different company. I got hired to do training materials for the software company that was doing stuff both for Wall Street and the military and, and Department of Defense. And they wanted us to come in and help design their, their training program. So you got to remember, right? Like I'm a, I'm a Sergeant First Class and First Special Forces Group in Fort Lewis, Washington. And I have a certain view of the world. And I show up in Palo Alto on day one in, in order to, to go through this initial training. And as I walk into the doors, there are people going by on segways and they've got their, like their puppies with them. And as they're walking in, they walk me into this room that looks like a, a small scale Trader Joe's and everything's free. And then they ask me like, Oh, do you, do you have a particular drink that you like? And I'm like, well, I, I like bourbon. Oh, what kind of bourbon? We'll order some for you and we'll make sure we have it here. But like, you could literally like, just box of like Snickers and, and like anything you can think of. And then every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, catered. And I'm not talking about catered by Panera, right? This was, this was good stuff. I mean, not that Panera is, but you know what I mean. And then it was, well, the masseuse comes on Thursdays and the dry cleaner is on Tuesdays. And, and oh, by the way, every time we went out to dinner or something like that, we weren't, we weren't going to Applebee's. And so I'm looking at this going, holy crap, I really should have paid attention in, like, you know, in, in school. This is just incredible. And almost all, most of these guys were in their you know, low to mid-20s. And, and so this was the sort of like Silicon Valley culture that was involved. And, and you can make any sort of argument you want that, okay, what they were doing was they were creating this sort of culture and environment where people would work longer hours and work on the weekends because, my gosh, why wouldn't you work in a place where they're serving you, you know, delicious meals and, and getting you whatever, you know, high-end scotch you wanted and stuff like that. But, but the problem is, is that that's all fine and good when you're getting all this money and, and there's all this investment. And again, it's because interest rates are so low and the government's just throwing money at things that there's a lot to go around and, and you're kind of competing with other companies that are creating this sort of culture. The moment all of a sudden you, you, you move the curtain back and it's like, no, 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 it's time to actually find efficiency and, and, and it's time to actually, you know, make a profit and justify your existence. Why are you at this company? What are you actually producing of value and, and, and that's what they're wanting now, right? And like, I want production. I'm no longer interested in potential production. I'm no longer interested in this idea of, of you know, conceptual production. What are you doing right now that is actually generating a profit that justifies your existence? And the moment you can't prove that or the moment you can't demonstrate that, one of two things has happened. 
the first thing that's happening is like, okay, the catered lunches are gone, right? The, 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 the extravagant stuff is gone. And then after that, you're gone. And so that's, that's the sort of thing that was going on in some of these environments. And all of a sudden, when it came down to, we're, we're no longer in the kind of cool, hip startup world. We're in the, no, you need to produce a, you need to produce a return for the investors that made all of these breakfasts and lunches and it, trips and all that possible. Because they had to do something. They had to create something to earn money in yeah. order to invest it in you to go do these things. And if you're telling them that, well, gosh, I, I don't know. I don't really know what value I bring to this company other than I'm a content moderator. Yeah, yeah you're not going to have a job very long. And that's, that's the reality that's been, been happening. Yeah, but don't you know that laying off 75% of Twitter is, is going to kill millions of people, Nick? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and that's the que- here's the question. Now, obviously, people have certain complaints about Twitter and whatnot. And, you know, I I don't like this content or I'm seeing more of this and I want more. But nobody is saying to themselves, gosh, Twitter is like 90 percent different than it was when Elon Musk bought it, even though he like fired all of these people. And and it just demonstrates that that was that was inefficiency within that system. And it's it's all fine and good for other people to come in and say, well, isn't that horrible for those people? Yes and no. It, it's horrible in the sense that I, I might commiserate with the fact that I don't, you know, nobody wants to lose a job. But if your labor wasn't anywhere near as valuable as you were getting paid for, then that was actually a waste. And what really needs to happen is you need to find the place in the economy where your labor is actually worth what it is you're getting paid to produce. Because somebody else had to produce something in order to pay you that wage in the first place. True. That's a hard point to argue with, Nick. Speaking of content moderation, Lydia had sent us a tweet earlier today. She actually, for everyone watching and listening, she actually had to jump off internet internet issues, but she should be back with us on Thursday, no problem. But she sent this to the group, and I wanted to bring it up since we were talking about content moderators in terms of Twitter, Twitter and Silicon Valley. Uh, but this tweet from POTUS, I want to read it off. Thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, folks who purchase electric vehicles can receive a tax credit of up to $7,500 per vehicle allowing millions of consumers to ditch the pump and easily switch to an EV. And what's funny is right under this, Twitter put a content claim on it or a fact check. I'm not sure exactly what to call it, but it says the $7,500 tax credit existed prior to the Inflation Reduction Act. I just think it's so funny that POTUS, the White House, the people that run their social media would love to take credit for everything. And then Twitter yeah. comes in here and says, nope, you don't get, you don't get to take credit well, for it. Well, he's a politician and no no... I, I hate saying that because we have a politician on here and Nick is, <laughs> is, I mean, here's the thing. Honestly, this is another thing. At some point we need to do an episode where we actually go into like, you need, you need to I, start keeping a running list of I, all these episode yeah, ideas. I know. Why am I sitting at this table? Because like, other than Tina, I've known Nick longer than anybody here. Um, so, so like not to like rag on Nick, cause Nick honestly has, I, I, I can tell you firsthand, like Nick has never taken credit for something that he can't legitimately take credit he for. He does not. Even when it would be in his own self-interest as an elected official to do so. And let me tell you, like, like the way that D.C. works and the way that most state legislatures work, like, oh, you better believe that Joe Biden's consultants were, were probably telling him, of course you need to rag on this and, and, you know, take credit for this. Just like he needs to take credit for apparently destroying inflation, despite the fact that, A, inflation is not actually completely gone, and B, he hasn't done anything to stop inflation. In fact, arguably, he has done things to make inflation worse. So, I, I, A, I'm not surprised that he's done this. B, 
I'm definitely not surprised that Twitter is starting to fact check everybody now because A, <laughs> to go back to A, Democrats have made it like very publicly known that they hate Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And notice how like every time that Joe Biden would do something like touting electric cars and stuff like that, he would conveniently leave the largest electric car manufacturer yeah. on earth yeah. off the table. It's almost at one point on that. It's almost as if the Inflation Reduction Act or whatever bill was passed to give the $7,500 tax credit, the limitations within it were almost designed to exclude Tesla. Did you know that Tesla just started dropping their prices? I'm furious. Actually, you probably did notice because <laughs> Hamilton bought one right before they lowered the price. I yeah. Oh, well, I don't get to take. Nick, what's well, your look, what, look, what's your take on this? I, I mean, I yeah, I think from the content moderation. Here, here was the interesting thing about Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and everything else out there. YouTube. I, I think the left the. the there's this arrogant statement that I heard once that, well, well the reason why the, the media and everyone agrees with us is because reality has a liberal bias. Like, no, it's not reality. You just have a lot of institutions with liberal bias. And that, and that was like evident to anybody that would actually read beyond the headlines. Well, now all of a sudden there's, there's a couple of networks out there, uh, Twitter now being one of them, where it's, it's not like they stopped fact-checking everybody. They just started fact-checking the other side. And, and this happens every single time the left gets subjected to their own rules, they immediately start to cry foul, right? They don't want to be treated equal. They want preferential treatment because they think they're better. Well, the moment all of a sudden someone comes and goes, well, actually, you know, the, this thing that you're, you're talking about that supposedly lowered inflation, which, which, by the way, can we just say this right now? Whether you like that, whether you don't like that, whether it was before the Inflation Reduction Act, whether it was after, doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with lowering inflation nothing in fact quite the opposite because essentially yeah. it's a government tax credit right so it has nothing to do with lowering inflation but now somebody actually came out and said well wait a second like the most obvious blunder here is well that happened before the inflation reduction act how can you give it credit to the inflation reduction act and and then the left gets mad like well, how dare you don't you want to save the planet like i, I am telling you Chris, christian nailed it with respect to in politics you take credit for whatever is going on, regardless of whether or not you did anything about it. And you always blame the other side for what is going on, regardless of whether or not they had anything to do with it. Like politics is one big causation versus correlation fallacy in, in order to try to grasp at taking credit for whatever you can and then doing your level best to make sure that people never understand what is actually going on. Is, is, in order to create the sort of circumstances that they're living through. Yeah. And, and it's just so damn frustrating. And I don't like it when the left does it. And I don't like it when the right does it. I mean, what, what all this, the reason why we talk about inflation so much right now, and the reason why we have trashed Republicans is because that is one element where both sides have been guilty because politicians want to take credit for things yep. and they want to do it without, without being obvious about what's going on. It's a Republican that took us off the gold standard. It I is. <laughs> and, 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 this is and, and this is the point is when, when people talk about the uni party or when they talk about the idea that it's, it's not, you know, this or that, it's, it's us against, it's, it's them against us. The, the, thing, the thing that we've always wanted this podcast to do was to make sure that regardless of what you, you feel about a particular situation, we're honest with you about what we believe, why we believe it, and we actually present logical and empirical evidence to justify our position. So that the bottom line is, is that if, if conservatives or, or people that say they're conservatives start doing the things that we've told you are responsible for the pain that you're feeling, you will know that they're doing it. 
because like we we absolutely believe that there's such a thing as objective truth out there and and the more you understand about how things work and why they work and what the results are the, the more we can move away from these bs causation correlation fallacies and actually truly understand why one thing is leading to another the better off we're going to be regardless of what political affiliation you slap on it and and so yeah i'm glad that the content moderators are actually starting to come out now, i don't even really like them but i'm glad that they're at least you know saying hey this this is this is intellectually dishonest or inconsistent well, but, no. but in reality, there, there's going to be there's no substitute for it, because even though we might be happy that Twitter is doing this now, if you're reliant on Twitter to do it, you're going to be really, really disappointed. It's more about having just a and, and the beautiful part about it is that it, it isn't super complex. A lot of it is. But what we talk about here and I always like to tell people, look, I'm not I'm, I don't claim to be brilliant. I don't claim to have some sort of special insight. But when you, can, when you can view these things through just basic logic and have an understanding of cause and effect, all of a sudden, a lot of the stuff that politicians try to throw out there to confuse the situation in order to protect themselves becomes easily identifi identifiable. And, and, and that's the whole point. What, what I, if, if people get nothing else from this, regardless of where they fall on the political spectrum, I, I, I genuinely hope they come away with a better understanding of how things work, not so they can advance a particular political party, but so that they can have a better understanding of how this works in reality and do the things that are actually going to cause us to be more prosperous, more free, more independent from some sort of government entity that wants to micromanage or control us. Christian, what's your final point to be made in this show today? We're doomed. No. Um, <laughs> my, uh, That's always Christian's final point. <laughs> no, my, my final point is, um, A, lots, lots of politicians are going out there and they're going to start taking credit for supposedly ushering us through this inflation crisis when you, it's, it's not over. It, it, it's absolutely not over because the same people, this is actually something that we have not brought up so far this episode, the same people that are currently taking credit for apparently solving inflation are, first off, the same people that helped cause the problem in the first place, but more importantly, are currently the same people that are putting immense pressure on the Federal Reserve to reverse course and return us back to cutting interest rates in printing money, which will bring inflation back stronger than ever before. So I find it really laughable that somebody like Joe Biden or really anybody in in the state, or, or, sorry, in the um, federal legislature and the U.S. Senate and, and House are going out there and they're taking credit for apparently clamping down on inflation at the same time that they are passing trillion dollar omnibus bills that are going to really drive inflation through the roof if the Federal Reserve is ever going to be forced to cut interest rates, which they probably will sooner than later. I, I, I have a feeling that, that if not this year, the next year, the Fed will start cutting interest rates. And when that happens, and unless yeah. inflation has been quenched by then, it will be coming back. Hmm. Yeah, start all over again. I, I was just thinking for a moment what I wanted my final point of this short show to be today. And I thought I just remembered that I was editing a clip earlier for Nick to post on Instagram uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we can only rely so much on politicians and we have to ultimately rely on ourselves for food, for our freedom, education. And I just want to play this quick clip if Christian and Nick don't mind. Uh, Nick, I know you can't see the clip, but it was from uh, your speech at the Food Freedom Night. Up, uh, but about an hour above Culpepper. And I just want to play it real quick. It's 45 seconds, and I want to get your, your reaction. 
At the end of the day, you're the only one that can decide whether or not you're going to be free. You can elect people that believe that you're free and believe that you deserve to remain so and will fight for it in the legislature. But ultimately, if your freedom is completely dependent upon whether or not I convince a majority of my colleagues to protect that freedom, you aren't. Don't tell me what you're willing to fight for. Tell me what you're willing to sacrifice for. Because that tells me what you really love, what you really care about, and what you're really willing to risk something for. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to risk in order to live your life in accordance with your values? And quite frankly, I think it's been a while since Americans have been faced with that decision. But there's a lot of people a little bit further down the road all over the world that are finding out that if you're not willing to take a stand on the little things, you aren't going to have the resources, the capability, or the grit to do it when it's the big things. So, Nick, this conversation that we're having about inflation, all of this seems quite out of our hands, that we personally can't do it, do anything about it, that it's up to the Fed, people that we've never met before, people that we don't even know what their names are. And I've just been thinking about this idea of the cultural rebellion for quite over the weekend that, you know, the rebellion is now homeschooling, it's homesteading, it's being resilient. Um, You know, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Like, what can we be doing right now to, to take some of this back in our own hands? Well, again, and so much of this seems, again, so far outside of our control that what can we possibly do it about it to where even if we got a, a Congress that we wanted and a president that we wanted, we, we'd still be fighting against some of this. But let me, let me kind of leave it on a positive note. The other day, we had some friends of ours from church, and you know they follow us on Instagram and stuff like that. And they said, hey, um, you know, I, I saw the funny thing you did on the fact that you have chickens and whatnot. Um, do you? do you actually have any extra eggs? Because honestly, it's, it's killing our grocery budget right now. And we said, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and we, we brought, brought them a couple dozen eggs. And I, I, I know it seems, <laughs> I know it seems kind of small and insignificant, but in, in that small thing of having 20 hens in, in our, in our backyard, we, we were not a, only able to help feed our family, but we were able to help feed another family of people that have been a huge blessing to us throughout our lives. And it, it was that simple, right? It wasn't that difficult. Um, and, and so many people want to make it out like the, the challenges that we face are so insurmountable that there's nothing you can do about it. And, and I am telling you, I am telling you, it's, it's little things, it's little decisions that you make um, and, and you don't need hundreds of acres. You don't need any of this stuff, but it's little decisions that you can make and you will be shocked at the impact that it has, not only for you with respect to the educational component, with, with respect to what it means for your grocery budget. And then moving to that, that next step where it's not only something you did for yourself and your family, it's now something you did for other people that are family and friends and people within your church community, where it's like these little small blessings where, where you were able to arrive and, and help them with something that's that, that is not just what america was always meant to be it's not just what alex alexis de tocqueville talked about when he visited america it's it's also what the church was of you being able to push back against things that you don't like and, and having to to be involved in the grind and fighting in the trenches to do it we love being able to do some of the things that we do around our property, not just for the blessing that it gives us, but for the blessing that it gives to other people. And, and you can get genuine enjoyment and, and specifically joy out of doing it. And when you find the thing that you can do, when you find that little one piece of, you know, I hate to say rebellion, but that's kind of what it feels like now. 
that, that brings you genuine joy and, and not only speaks into your own life, but also speaks into and helps others when they really need it. That's the thing that you're really going to dedicate yourself to. We're always going to have to, we're always going to have to do the things to, to fight the battles that we don't necessarily want to fight or wish we didn't have to fight. But, but the great news is that there's so many things that we can do that we can take genuine enjoyment from and use that to not only take care of ourselves, but to bless others. And so I would just encourage people to, to find that, especially this year. We're in January, right? Find something that you can do that is, is going to be able to not only help you, but be able to help others that you get genuine enjoyment and peace out of. And that's the thing you're going to notice right off the bat. Um, not only does it help, but it's going to be something you become better at and something that you're able to expand. So yeah, focus on that. If you're wondering how you can also have a plethora of eggs at your own house, I would encourage you to look up Joel Salatin on YouTube, maybe build one of his chicken tractors. You don't need a lot of land to do it. And I'm sure Nick would love to talk more about that. I know he's that's for meat chickens, Hamilton. Oh, that's for meat chickens, not egg chickens. (laughs) Egg chickens. You need the, you need the, the, I thought I, I thought I was making a good recommendation with that, but (laughs) it it was a thought that mattered. Okay. It was a thought that mattered. Anyway, if you've got, if you know more about chickens than I do, and you would like to join our community chat and let everyone know about that, uh, Go to the link in the description of this episode. Join our volley chat. We would love to see you there. You will need to download the volley app, but I promise it is worth it. Nick just jumped in yesterday and asked everybody about whether or not we should live stream more of our episodes. And I put out some times. I said, we're thinking about doing this, you know, maybe twice a week at 12 p.m. and or 5 p.m. Some of the folks said that, that was too early and they'd prefer to see it later in the evening. Um, so we definitely want to look at your your thoughts about the show, what we could be doing better, and how we can improve. And so we would look we look forward to talking to you there. Uh, looks like Nick just had to jump off because he has to go back and do more of the people's work, which you know he is excited to do. Uh, but thank you for joining us on this Tuesday's episode, and we look forward to seeing you on Thursday. If you have an idea for Thursday's episode, please please let us know on Wednesday uh, before we record in the volley chat. Thanks so much. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to goodranchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, goodranchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick. And once again, thank you for listening.